Hey everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. With me today is a special guest uh, from, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm always happy when somebody uh, finds the podcast kind of by accident and becomes a huge fan. Welcome, Darby D. Hi, hi, thank you for having me. Yes, I was um, looking at recommended, uh, you know, podcasts and it really struck a chord. And I, I tell you, I listened to the Predator one and I was guffawing. Uh, that Predator one's got a lot of fun feedback. I mean, we, uh, we've been doing this podcast for almost three years now and it's got, it's, uh, you know, when we get some of these like classics it's interesting too when we get the right people to talk about this and i was so happy you came on uh, you asked me you could come on and do one and you suggested uh one we're going to do tonight and i was like yes i haven't had a chance to do a good horror film because a lot of my regular uh guests or my regular co-hosts aren't really in the horror genre but uh you know this one though is probably i would say in the top five best horror and comedies of the 80s right you know done by the the the, the great john landis animal house yes. and then he does this and yeah. I, I i was reading because you know i wasn't that old at the time um how the, the the trailer said you know from the director of animal house and people were expecting this comedy and they get this gore fest and- i know yes we're covering now we're not covering the blues brothers and we're not covering the twilight zone movie we are covering 1981's american werewolf in london Oh, and uh, I gotta say, this is probably I'd say for greatest like classic horror films. Like you know, you have those great you know early thirties and twenties and you know the great Universal era, you know the black and white eras, you know with your Lugosi's, your Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman. Those are really fun ones. But it, it, when we got to Werewolves in the early eighties, this and the Howling series were just like kind of really revived what how gruesome a werewolf transformation could be. And, you know, we're talking about easily one of the most talked about special effects sequences ever, which is the iconic. Uh, the practical effects here, you know, because this is before any of the, the, the CGI. This was all, this was all makeup. This yeah. was all stop. This was all practical effects. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, you know, most people agree is the pinnacle of makeup effects. It, and uh, yeah, it's funny. This kind of broke a new level. You know, some of the people who worked on this film, you know, w- you know, had to turn down other jobs because this was such a complex job. I mean, it's the famous who all did, had to pass on like movie or movies like The Thing because they were working on this one, or who didn't get to go do The Howling because they were working on this one. This was, you know, John Landis in 1981 was a pretty important director, and this really completely pushed him into a whole nother level. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the plot line. It's a pretty uh, amusing plot line. And really, we describe it. It should be terrifying, but it's also extremely funny because Landis decided to make it as much a comedy as, as a nightmarish yeah, sequence. After. I think that made it palatable because, yeah, 1981, I was um, five. I was and I'm trying two, to remember though. the age that I first saw it. And yeah, I was. Yeah, I was too. I didn't see this till probably. I think I saw this in in ninety three, ninety four. It was just one of the things that they would occasionally rerun it on television, it highly edited. Especially, I know uh, Comedy Central famously ran this thing a lot. At some oh, point. Yeah, well, you know, I it, I saw a lot of horror stuff on uh, on USA when they had uh, Gilbert Gottfried and oh, her name was right. the Kitty Girl. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, Rhonda. She, yeah. Stay all night. The, the uh, up all night uh, series. It was such a, uh, for those of us who were of a certain age, if you watch uh, USA up all night, you got to see some of the worst movies. We got to just see some secretly. They sneak a good one in every now and then. And this was definitely one they would sneak in every now and then. Oh yeah. Oh, it, it, the way that this thing starts, you know, with the, 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 the walking or actually what it was is with the truck. Right. Yeah. And it's just all foggy and, and, and nothing. And then you see these two kids backpacking. <laughs> and it's basically like takes this, it, it takes a classic idea, which is two dumb uh, tourists get caught in, in all sorts of chaos. In this particular case, we got two American tourists, hence for the werewolf in London, but, but they're in the more like the upper moors. They're not even in London right now. And uh, they get themselves lost in the fog in this, creepy town where essentially they've had a werewolf problem for centuries and uh you know they've been trying to deal with it for years they keep trying to keep this a big secret and unfortunately poor uh david uh, is the uh one who gets the curse passed to him oh yeah yeah it, it, the, the, the 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 opening you know when they finally get into the what is it called the slaughtered lamb yeah <laughs> like oof and I mean, I don't know if you noticed or if you remember the and there's all these Jewish overtone jokes. I don't know if Landis did this on purpose, but oh, we have definitely. the slaughtered lamb, you know, the star, the jokes, you know, later on in the hospital about, oh, I checked. Um, I, there was a lot of that running through it. I don't I don't know how intentional it was. And oh, I didn't even notice until, you know, my, my rewatch this week. And I was like, huh. Well, I mean, we should point out, Landis started out, he did make a couple schlock horror films in the early 70s. And then he got, his breakthroughs were uh, the uh, Kentucky Fried movie and then followed that up with Animal House and then the Blues Brothers. And each one of those were just like zany, you know, full of like crass, insane jokes and also really dark, messed up jokes. I mean, you know, you know, the Illinois Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Some, I mean, the, he got away with, and if you're, I mean, the, if you're watching the Kentucky Fried movie, there are jokes in there that would never be allowed. No, even no, no, no sir. <laughs> Just like, yeah. And, uh, but that's the key. Like, Landis was very, like, gung ho. I don't care if it's going to offend somebody. If it's funny, we're going to do it. When, you know, this is also the era of Saturday Night Live being kind of more like the punk rock comedy scene. So it's, of a, you know, it's definitely of the right time period. You know, at the same time, you know. as, as as the guys are walking up to the to the to the pub, you know, just even the way that they were talking, they're dropping the f bomb, talking about fucking a girl, etc. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember this dialogue. You know, this is this is pure eighties. Um, don't give a fuck. Yeah, this is very. I mean, it's kind of weird. It almost feels like it, sh it should have been made like seventy nine, seventy seven kind of thing. Because the way they talk a little bit, but it's still got that very much like anti-authoritarian kind of style to it. But it's still got, but they, there's a little bit of an 80s tinge to it. So it's kind of in this hybrid like zone period of time. And, you know, uh, 81, there's a lot of like, you know, kind of groundbreaking films came out this time. You know, this came out around the same time as Ray's Lost Ark and a movie like Blowout, which is very much a 70s thriller set in the 80s. I mean, it's the, you know, it's definitely kind of a weird fit where movie like this would not have gotten allowed except directors had all this cat you know power back then and right before this is right before the change so landis himself would never be able to get a movie like this made much not long after this and it's 
I think it's just kind of icon- iconic that you know, he even got away with some of the gags. I, it helps that he did not cast a lot of big na- you know, he didn't have any big name stars. You know, Griffin Nutt- Dunn is probably the most well known from this, and he get he's <laughs> most of the movie decayed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, David Naughton was most famous for uh, playing a, uh, you know, for a, doing a Dr. Pepper commercial. So, and then, yeah, Ginny Aguilar is probably the biggest star at the time of the movie. And she's basically the, uh, you know, she's not the damsel in distress because she's never in the damsel in distress position, but she's, you know, the girlfriend who's, you know, uh, who has to deal with the fact that you know, her uh, boyfriend may or may not be uh, a werewolf. <laughs> And, oh my god! It, when I it, when I saw her, I was like, "Why does this woman look familiar?" So you know, I'm doing the thing that I do, where I'm looking up who's this actress, and I, I watch Call the Midwife. <laughs> <laughs> and she plays one of the nuns. She's a nurse nun. I was like, "Yes." Oh god! Yeah, for those yeah. guys who have not seen or recognize her, if you uh, most famous recently, she was in the Avengers movie. She was one of the. Um, and the Captain America winner. So she's one of the uh, World Council people. So, yes. uh, so she has this. Uh, she's had a cult following for decades. So, uh, yeah, her her um, her her videography uh, is long. Yes, Norton's is too. You know, he's done some voiceover stuff. And I was like, I remember having a, a huge. Uh, I remember thinking he was just the cat's meow for a bit. Oh, I mean, the, he's very attractive. That's one of the things that works. Is Usually in these movies, the the guy who's cursed is not the attractive guy. It's usually like the uh, you know poor sap who's been cursed. But they flip it. They make the uh, they make the guy who normally would get killed pretty quickly in the movie is the one who's cursed. And the uh, his uh, but of course the irony is is his best friend is the comic relief and will not stop haunting him. No, no. Have you ever talked to a dead person? Have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I love you know perhaps my favorite moment in the movie is when he's in the the porno theater which yes he's in a porno theater watching a porno movie with his uh, dead friend and all the other people he's killed by accident as a werewolf and they're all suggesting how he should die <laughs> oh my god and his buddy's decayed so much now he's almost you know uh, skeleton he's like no that'll hurt he's like they're trying to figure out the easiest way for him to die <laughs> He's like, I'm your friend. I don't want you in suffering and pain. Right? No, we just need you to die. We don't need you to, you know, it doesn't need to be awful about it. Hang myself? No, you could screw that up. Yeah, it's like, I just love the fact that like, no, and, you know, these ones just shoot yourself. Like, but I don't want to get a, it's like, and here's the problem for the werewolf. If you're the werewolf, do you, I mean, even if you can't control it, you don't really want to die. That's the frustrating part about this. But they also point out it's easy to kill a werewolf if you just shoot them. Like they don't make yep. uh, this is not like say, you know, we've done uh, Stephen King's Silver Bullet where you have to have a silver bullet. You know, it's, you know the whole the whole details are far more complicated. This is basically just you turn into werewolf. You turn into werewolf. You don't turn into wolf. You turn into giant wolf, and you are you're not bulletproof. You can be killed, and that's, that's what happens. Why I don't understand how they haven't just put the kibosh on this sooner if you can and, kill them with three shotguns yeah and the first werewolf they get killed instantly i mean like as soon as after he attacks they shoot him you know the the townspeople shoot him dead it's like it's yeah, so much that they don't even realize they got attacked by a wolf if they knew there was even a possibility that one of those two people you know was going to be the werewolf I, I i might be a little callous here but i would have shot the dude they're like all right no we're done 
I think they were also like, get him out of here. We can finally get rid of the. I mean, I, I, I take it as they were hoping these idiots would get the curse, want him to get the curse, and leave so they would not have to deal with them anymore. It's like, it seems that this town always has, it seems to always affect one person in the town. So, you know, the, then, you know, of course, the uh, all the moon jokes constantly throughout here, too. You know, they do a good job pointing out this is only a full moon thing. So he only tra- transforms a couple of times. And, you know, we need to, you know, w- you know we've danced around this, but the iconic moment when he transforms into the werewolf for the first time we see, because you know, he's transformed, but we don't see it. We just, he find he, you know, he has the, I've woken up, I don't know what I've done scenario. And we don't even know how big the wolf is even. Right. Yeah. But the actual horrifically painful transformation is flat out one of the greatest makeup effects ever. I mean, if you've ever shot, they've broken this down shot for shot, the amount of, you know, details they did to get the, the physical transformation done. Cause this is so much like heavy prosthetics that were like with puppetry and so forth, just to, you know, and to show the painfulness of this. Physical yeah, his, his acting didn't suck. And, you know, uh, conveying the amount of pain that he was in. You know, the, the, the ripping off of the clothes and a little bit. I was like, yeah, no, I've kind of felt like that one of these days. I had a migraine like that once, yeah. and then it just got worse and worse. I was like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just like the, uh, you know, the face, like the, the idea is you, when you think about it, like, oh, yeah, they have a different type of, you know, jaw or muzzle. That means your face has to stretch. Mm-hmm. That has to hurt. But then, of course, the more painful is the, the leg transformation because, you know, when he yeah. developed the hind leg, it's like, oh, yeah, we don't have hind legs for a reason because we our shins don't bend like that. So his shin has to literally shatter to form another leg, and it's so all the all the cracking and the and the and the the creaking and the stretching and oh yeah, no, it is it's quite yeah the hair just you know slowly kind of stretching out of him. It's like it's it's so twisted, you know, like his jaw having to you know literally stretch out his eyes having to like literally you know pull back everything is like it's so painful and it's so like terrifying and then he, and then you realize how big this wolf is it's not like he he's not just a wolf like if you ever watch movies like, like if you, say you watch true blood they just turn mm-hmm. into they just have regular wolves they turn into regular wolves when you have a, see a werewolf on that show and you know I, I like that but here it's like no this turns into what a man of a certain size would turn into into a wolf how big they would turn into and this wolf is monstrously huge and it has a, a horrifically you know, vicious attack and just the idea of it and since it's London they take advantage of the fact that it's got this kind of a uh, urban jungle nightmares you know it can stalk people in the, in the uh, subway system it can you know there's so many back alleys in London. And, you know, this is also London and, uh, you know, the punk rock period, you know, the er- early Margaret Thatcher era of London, where it's it's not exactly one of the best places in the world to be at. It's a pretty hated place to be at. So for, uh, for uh, this to be happening, you know, a werewolf running around London, it's, you know, the police are going to have a bad time catching it because the police don't really care. <laughs> they do a pretty good job of showing that some of the victims – are pretty much scum of the earth to what you would call the British society. So they don't, it's a very low priority for them. It's only really when he attacks in Piccadilly Square in, in the uh, essentially the tourism park that the police finally stop him. Yeah, yeah, they did. It, it was it was. It struck me as funny when the when the one doctor went back to the, um, you know, to ask about it, and they're all like, ask about 
uh, was David. And they're all like, we don't know what you're talking about. And then, no, you need to leave. Yeah, I mean, it's there. Like, we're going to cover this up. I mean, it's probably a case of, again, people in, in England know about, know there's a werewolf problem. They've always kept it secret. <laughs> right. So like, and, I, I guess, you know, the, the, the British society can't bear that. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, like, it's the uh, uh, carry on. It's like, and it, I think that's another reason why this movie works so well is they do a good job of playing on the fact that it's like, you know, England may not be this perfect place that everyone, you know, they, that our, our two guys thought they were coming into when they came that, you know, like, we're going to tour England, we're a backpack, have this nice, you know, adventure of uh, like, you know, you know, study, uh, you know, see our, see our ancestries and like, nope, it's England's got a lot of dark secrets and this is, uh, this is one of them. And I, it's just like, it works really well. Uh, of course, this film famously was a huge, huge uh, hit for a very specific person. Uh, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Wait. No, what say that again. What celebrity watches has said, always said this was their favorite movie? Oh, God. I don't know. Michael Jackson. Oh, for real? Yeah. I so did- Jackson had... had so, uh, Thriller was directed by John Landis two years later. In fact, most of the same crew who worked. I did on- know that. I didn't put the two and two together, though. Yeah, that was actually the reason he hired John Landis. He saw he had never watched Blues Brothers, which is he was Landis was a little surprised because he thought Blues Brothers having you know James Brown stuff that would be the reason he got the offer to do the video. No, it was because he'd seen American Werewolf in London a lot. Like he was like he just loved that movie. He apparently saw it over dozens of times in the theater bought uh uh you know bought it early uh, an early version of it he could on like a home video and apparently even owned uh, a, a uh, film print of it that he was screening all the time like it was his personal oh. yeah that's a fan yeah so he was and he was like i want you know he when he said I, i'm we're gonna make my i want you to direct my movie thriller or my music video for thriller the, they made it into basically like a short film right down to this insanely high budget including the complicated werewolf transformation he does at the beginning of the, of the movie part of the movie so of the music video and it's it's you know this is and it's asked specifically why he wanted to do something he wanted to either top or at least pay tribute to how much he loved this movie so yeah if anybody's a uh, michael jackson you know you know american werewolf in london is a huge importance for his career and more importantly i'd say for music videos in general because just the fact that this film had such an influence on, you know, the future of music videos, too, is fast. And, you know, we should point out, there's almost like proto-music videos in here. Anytime Blue Moon is played, it is almost in a music video-like parody. And this is really before music videos even exist. This this movie came out weeks before MTV existed. So it's kind of setting a lot of groundwork for everything. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, wow. It, it, the... Um... Yeah, the timeline of everything just didn't uh, didn't didn't think of that about the whole. Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, now, does Landis make a cameo in this one? I I know some directors. He's in like the back of uh, He always sticks himself in a movie somehow. Yeah, of course. There's also the See You Next Tuesday. He uh, makes sure every of his movies has a See You Next Tuesday, and that's one of that's the uh, porno movie he goes the, they go to see. Oh yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, always trying to get one dirty joke in. Yeah, somebody brought this up the other. Uh, uh, I do trivia shows, so it's kind of a part-time job, and 
a uh, waitress was talking to me after a show and said, I hope this group wasn't uh, offended. Why? I said, see you next Tuesday to them. Mm. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, did you really? Were you saying on part because no, because they come every Tuesday. I said, then I highly doubt they noticed. And then these other people who overheard this comment, like, what's the problem? Because uh, I think you, you may not, you're too young to know this. <laughs> oh, too good. But yeah, no, I'm serious though. It's it's a fascinating movie just for the fact, and like I said, there's all these kind of, it's you know, it's as much a black comedy as a horror film, and that's one mm-hmm. reason why it's so much praise. Like Ghostbusters would not exist if not of this film because uh, I read, you know, Dan Aykroyd uh, was very inspired. You know, he he was disappointed he couldn't have been in this film because uh, uh, he and I think Belushi were working on the film Neighbors, so they, you know, I think it was supposed to be those two initially. I think the original plan was going to be Belushi and Aykroyd as the... Uh, yeah, I can't picture it like that. But see, I th- if you think about it, though, it makes sense, though. You've got, uh, you know, I, I, in this case, I think it probably been Aykroyd would have been our, uh, David, and uh, Belushi would have been the friend. But that's if you think about it, that's the dynamic. You've got those two yeah, yeah, are basically dynamic would work, but I don't know. I think uh, like they feel too bumbling. You know, it's it's a. Oh, I know. I, like I said, he toned it. He took the con- he made it way more dark and serious. And, you know that inspired. Um, yeah, um, Ackroyd to develop Ghostbusters. He wanted to do a dark comedy as well in the supernatural zone. So this film had its own legacy for that. And mm-hmm. and you know, Landis famously you know didn't direct Ghostbusters because he uh, had a bit of a falling out with uh, Belushi while they were making um um what 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 uh, while they were making Blues Brothers. And he and Ackroyd had a bit of a falling out while they're making Trading Places. But the idea is, this is you know a film that essentially could have whole different take too i like the fact that they toned it down though they did not make it a flat out you know comedy you know if it had been belushi as the world it would have been considered more of a comedy but by not doing that you get to play up the comedy in a subtle way and make the horror like the the terrifying parts such more stronger yes yeah i i i i think that did that did wonders for it i don't think it would have worked more silly no but like i said that was a that almost happened. That could have been a case where uh, it would have been Ackroyd and Belushi as the two as the two friends. And you know, I'm like I said, I think it was. I think the plan would have been Ackroyd as the werewolf and Belushi as the friendy Kane. And I think that would have been kind of a nice little subtle jab at some of the jokes, that, you know, some of the problems Belushi had over the years. So, uh, but like I said, I th- I think Griffin Dunn's performance as his decaying friend is just flat out perfect because he's just that. He's not like in the nerdiness, but he's the uh, he's the friend that you're like this. He would have been the first guy killed in a movie. He just kind of screams, "I'm not going to survive this," and he doesn't. And he's I but, do not know the rules for a horror movie. Yeah, but then, yeah, but then throughout the whole thing, he's just the, a he's the perfect. Uh, yeah, he's constantly like, dude, what's going on. Like, why are you still alive? I can't. He's like, I'm sorry. I just don't know how to do. I was like, I, I kept thinking you were a nightmare. It's like, I'm not a nightmare. I'm dying here. And I would very much like to be done with this. Yeah, I've got other things I got to do. I would like to not be the undying. Thank you very much. The undead. The the <laughs> yeah, walking. Like, if you talk to the dead, it is boring. <laughs> it's like it's that's such a perfect you know uh, discretion. Like only people he can talk to are cursed people or the dead, and it's not. <laughs> 
it's a very small uh, uh, option. So, uh, and like I said, it's just I, now I read some critics discusses this could have been like a a uh, metaphor about AIDS, but this is kind of predates AIDS in the production. So I don't know. I think some people kind of looked at it as a different perspective. I know there was other takes. Some critics have said this was a metaphor about uh, Ronald Reagan, which I'm like, uh, I could maybe see that. But at the same time, as it's it's another case where it's like, I don't get it. But I kind of see like David having like those Reagan-esque features turning into this werewolf. So that's, you know, it, it's got a lot of weird subtleties that, you know, I think it, kind of works but also i think it, there's like this kind of mandel effect for this film also right yeah reading things into it that uh, uh, kind of out of the time period depending yeah. on when you watched it exactly yeah. which is also you know a credit to you know a film if you can find different meanings that may or not have been you know intended by the director or, or have different references now yeah, and I think that's kind of adds to you know. I know others have said there's definitely like a, a sexual nature to this film, and I think and they're right. You know, it's like not just his relationship, uh, you know, with his uh, the nurse's his girlfriend, but just the that you know it's a primal thing. You know, the, somebody discussed that this film had you know metaphors about you know is David actually gay, and that this is kind of like you know, the werewolf is part of his like uh, closetness, you know, or is this a <laughs> metaphor of being in the closet? Or yeah, and I, I thought that's an interesting take on it as well. Yeah, I, I was I was wondering about that one too because you know being uh, having a bunch of rainbow friends and you know being part of the alphabet mafia myself, I was like, all right, so who here is looking at this with the you know in the closet trying to figure out vibe here? And uh, and I thought it was something that might be a little placed after the fact. I didn't it watching it i couldn't find a lot of you know direct oh it only applies to me because i think it applies to me <laughs> well but that's you that's just it though it's like uh i think you know the sexual natures of like uh, when anytime like you went, vampires tend to be where the sexual stuff always gets brought up first but werewolves are like this primal side the idea of the it's the secret inside of you that it has to come out and this place like you know every time the moon is uh usually like that is you have to let it out you know so you know, there was talks. Yeah, you know, there's also I've read discussions like that. Yeah, you know, maybe it's a metaphor about you know being bisexual. But then again, there's also discussions like maybe this is a cautionary tale about you know just like it, like a lot of vampire stories have been like cautionary tales about like uh, STDs and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a similar situation. Um, but I still think it's a fascinating one, regardless. Just when you break down all these different subtlety themes and the fact that these all exist, it's you can take all these different takes on it. You know, I know the trans community have said many times, this is a, you know, this has the metaphors about, you know, trying to accept that you're a trans because there's this whole side of that, you know, is you know, he's transforming into something and, you know, he, but he also is, you know, he's trying to hide that he has this, this problem, but is it a curse? Is it like, you know, is it something he wanted? Does, and he also is like, he doesn't want to die, you know, like he shouldn't have to die, but it's also like society's not ready for him. You know, like, you would think if England had was a little more understanding, they'd have a better system to deal with their werewolf problem, or at least <laughs> some like, okay, you're a werewolf, we've got a special place for you to go stay every once a month. You know, you would think a, a country with this, which clearly had this problem for a long time, would be on top of this. They're not. for a long during time. It, it, the, the the mark in the pub was traditional, so they didn't paint over it. <laughs> exactly. I see that, but that's just it. It's like it's. 
you know, it, it goes back to the idea of like people tend to ignore uh, uh, issues it, even up until it's too late. And I, I think that's the other key fact that this film deals with. David ignores his problem for a while. Uh, you know, even though he's constantly because he thinks some of these are dreams or these are nightmares, he doesn't seem to realize, oh, no, this is actually happening because he's kind of, and yeah. part of it is we're seeing it from his perspective for most of the time. So we finally start seeing it out of his perspective and then it gets far more terrifying. It reminds me of uh, the in Game of Thrones, the war gang. Um, yes. Yeah. In the, in the books and in the in the series, they did the you know, you can shift your mind into another animal, another creature and see things through that perspective. And it, even at the get-go, when he was at the hospital and having the, the, the dreams and, and visions and, and such, before he gets out and he starts actually doing werewolfy stuff, it's like, oh, it's like he's warging. I know that's kind of, that's neat, you know? Yeah. How much of that is a... It's clearly not. I mean, the, the dire wolves are very much the same kind of shape. Uh, uh, you know, they're of that size that, say, uh, that David turns into. So... It's, you know, you can see the influence, you know, I'm, I'm sure George R.R. R. Martin was a big fan of this uh, film as well. I mean, you can just find connections to this film in lots of movies that came after this, you know, you know, I know that, uh, you know, they fi- eventually made American Werewolf in Paris, which is not a good film, which suffers from a lot of, uh, you know, essentially bad decision making. And this was, but that was originally going to be developed like early on to be a, a sequel from uh, this film. But Landis's career was in such a uh, free fall later that he had nothing to do with it. And it's probably, probably for the best. Uh, did, did you ever watch the Paris one? I want to say I did, but I do not remember much about it. It, it has some like, ideas, but it's like. It, <sighs> It's you know when you make a movie at a certain point, sometimes you gotta make it like you know, he and his buddies are par- you know like they're bungee jumping off the uh, Eiffel Tower. It's you know she's uh, she's supposed to be the daughter of him, of David, but they don't really reveal that until late. It's it's got a lot of like really ridiculous details. There's the werewolf packs. It's like they went a little overkill in this one. Oh, and- it's got Tom Everett Scott in it. Okay. Yeah, yeah shades. <laughs> shades. <laughs> yeah, see, uh, like, yeah, I- I'm uh, my we wife is diehard. Uh, uh, we're diehard that thing you do fan. So anytime it's, it's just, hey, it's shades. <laughs> But no, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's like, it, it, it's also the casting. You're going to try to get this everyman guy. I, you know, Tom Everett Scott is kind of like your C uh, rent Tom Hanks, unfortunately. <laughs> but, and uh, that, that, that film just doesn't work because of that. But this film definitely works because of, like I said, all these little details that are so simple. Like, they don't put a lot of deep into this. They put, I mean, all the money is in this when you finally see the werewolf transformation and the few scenes where the werewolf is actually attacking, but it's Mm -hmm. small. It's not that, I mean, the transformation is the most expensive part of the movie and it, that's pretty long, but even then it's only like about five minutes, but it's a painful five minutes. They had to cut some of that out to get the R rating. it It wasn't the sex. It wasn't the, 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 the language. No, it was this disgusting, uh, graphic transformation that had to be cut out because yeah. that, that would be too much and too offensive <laughs> and, and also just the, uh, the tax himself got toned down from my read too like you see you know the actual like you know people being not, uh, you know mauled were 
a lot, but you know, Landis had already had dealt with some of that before he was making some of his other films that he knew that sometimes it's better just to make it some more, more graphic. So on purpose, so you can trim it down. Like a lot of directors have found that's the trick. Like add something that you don't want, but it's so graphic that when you cut it, they'll forget about the stuff trying to sneak in. And that's, you know, I think that's in the key. Because I've heard, like, the porno sequence, porno movie sequence was supposed to be a lot more, like, racier. Like, there it was what, I mean, I always crack up when you watch on television. They have to, you can't, they, they intentionally blur out what they're watching. It's so funny because that's the whole point is they're in a porno theater. There's a porn film screaming up there and all, you got all these decaying people and him talking. And, you know, it's like every uh, the camera has to, like the way they edit the film around. Like you can't you just think he's in a regular movie. And but that's the reason he's there is that it's a low rent porn theater that, you know, is uh, kind of, uh, you know, where a guy could hide. Mm hmm. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> oh, uh, so I think we're kind of covering as much we can on here without really kind of like, you know, doing a scene by scene discussion. But uh so I think we'll cover a uh, breakdown to uh, so we're going to say, is this a good movie, a bad movie or a nerdy movie? Uh, Darby, what's your pick? Oh, I'm going with a good movie. I'm definitely going with a good movie, too. This is where it's good and nerdy at the same time, but it's so yes, good. It, yes, yes. it crosses past the nerdy into good just flat out because it is a good movie. Uh, yeah, it's not there's nothing at all. I mean, you're right. There's some bad stuff in this film, but the bad stuff is fits this nature of this kind of like a it's a very, you know, if yeah keeping it within the time period that it's set in i think it's i think it's very true to the time period the the humor is maybe dated but it's also very much like it's just it's a werewolf movie it's not supposed to be taken there's a lot of this don't take the serious vibe constantly in the film which it should be it's like you know we're going to accept the fact that there's some scary stuff and some dumb stuff it's just works you know, it's t- the timing's so uh, accurate. I think that's the one of the reasons why this movie is such a classic. Uh, yes, I, 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 no, I, I'm on. I'm on board with that. Yes. All right. Well, uh, folks, this is, you've been listening to the Good, the Bad, and Nerdy Movie Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. If you uh, if you have any comments, please hit us up on our Facebook group, Fans Good to Bad and Nerdy Movie Pod. Also on Twitter, Good Bad Nerdy Movie Pod. And uh, Darby, thanks for coming on. Uh, where can they find you? Oh, um, well, you know, if you want to find all the places I'm at, uh, my link tree is probably the, the, the best place to do that. Uh, uh, link tree uh, forward slash Darby D, D-A-R-B-Y-D. And you can find everywhere that I'm at from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Darby's got a, a lot of great uh, media all over the place. So check it out. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think you're really popular only fan. So uh, I think and I've, I, I will say that's re- re- really cool that you're out there on that. And thanks for coming on. I'd love to have you back on again soon. We'll do some more horror films because I think, uh, yeah, I think you and I both agree. Yeah, we're of that age where the, the the great period of horror films was that time period. So uh, I mean, we we have to do Gremlins because oh, that is one of my favorite Christmas movies. Yes, yes. <laughs> Gremlins soon. That is, I mean, even though it's already like we're recording this a few days after Christmas, right before New Year's, but Gremlins is that is the eternal Christmas movie that people. For all we seem to like, you know, people argue about Die Hard and all these other films are Christmas movies. Gremlins is a Christmas movie, <laughs> right there. It, but you know, um, yeah, if if you if we're gonna Nightmare on Elm Street or the Friday the Thirteenth movies, I'm down. I will be back. <laughs>
All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening. And please, 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 if you're going to go out into the moors in the fog, just make sure you got a silver, you got, uh, got any kind of weapon with you. And stay on the, the road. They said stay, stay on the road. Over the moon. Yeah. Don't, oh, yeah. Also, don't go out in the, uh, on any kind of hiking trip on a full moon. It doesn't matter if it might be, you might see a little better. If you're in the fog, you're.